Welcome to 52 Episodes to Science Fiction Film Literacy. My name is Chris Garcia. Roll sound. There is an argument to be made for 2001 being the finest film ever made. Not saying the best, but the most well-crafted, the most richly detailed, and certainly one of the most important science fiction films ever. And what it did was it took a story by Arthur C. Clarke, and Kubrick took it in new directions, some of which didn't make sense, or at least not to the outside viewer. It is a film that demands you study it. It doesn't just want you to watch it. And once you've watched it a couple of times and absorbed the plot as it is, you start to watch it and just pick out the details. And the rough story is this. Man is being visited by a superior intelligent represented by a monolith. And it first comes to these apes, and it literally brings them humanity. And by humanity, I mean it makes them kill one another with tools. The second set, we have ascended to a new level and can actually travel the stars, at least to close areas. And it touches us again. And the third part, is a mind trip where the monolith returns and it, and as we enter it, we get this whole new realm. The message to me is clear. It is that every awakening is incomprehensible to those who have not been awoken, awakened. Well, whatever. Here's a great example. That first monkey who is using a bone to hit things, who un now understands tools, What he is doing to a large portion of those other other apes or whatever they are, proto-humans, I guess, it's inconceivable you would ever do that. It's impossible to understand how that works. Some will be awakened with him. Or her. When we get to the point at the end, which is sort of the, the ultimate mindfuck at the end, and it's the reason why a lot of people turn away from the film, that and its length. But once you're at the end, we can't comprehend what's next. And we are presented this tableau, almost, that makes no sense to us, that we can't synthesize. And because of that, a lot of us reject it. But that's exactly the point. Because we can't synthesize, because we can't fit it in with our current understanding of the universe, we reject it. Others latch onto it and build on it. In essence, becoming the star child that is born of this interaction with this new enlightening technology. Everyone remembers Hal. And HAL is a fascinating robot computer operation system. In science fiction, HAL is what all other robots are measured against. And HAL, thankfully, does not operate by Isaac Asimov's three laws, supposedly. Here's the question. He follows orders, and the overarching order is to make it possible to have this visitation to Jupiter. But he can do things like kill people, harm people allow people to be harmed. In defense of that overarching method, we now know that robots kill people. They don't go hunting people, yet. But we know that, and we probably have always known that Asimov's three laws are crap. They just don't work. They're not real. But what is impressive about Hal is what we are seeing is a descent into madness. And it is madness born not only of 
mechanical failures, of electronic failures, but of an overarching idea that we must achieve this goal by any means necessary. And he buys into it so, so thoroughly because he can't do otherwise. And when he has to do otherwise in a way, when he is forced to not obeying the main, the primary target, and this is by being disabled, it is then that we start to understand what is significant about Hal. And what's significant about Hal isn't just that he's a robot, a computer. What's significant about Hal is he is the unquestioning servant of corporate masters. And there's an entire realm of theory we could do on Hal as a representation of the mindless worker. I'm not going to do that, because I'm not a socialist. But, removed from that, we have a whole bunch of interactions that happen within a context of a film that is so precisely made. Every element is perfect. There are a few errors here and there of little things, but for the most part, Kubrick was so fastidious and had so many people working in so many different ways to make everything ideal. The way a phone call is made from orbit to Earth. The way that the space station and the ship look, every element within it, the screens that they're looking at while eating their breakfast, the latches on doors, the individual modules that are pulled out of HAL, they are all perfect. And had we achieved the future that was evident in 1965, 1966, that is exactly what it would have looked like. But we didn't. We had two major things. One, the U.S. scrapping the space program. And two, far more significant in my eyes, the invention of the microprocessor in 1971. And those were things that you could not see how those were going to affect the world because they weren't, they weren't conceivable. Why would we stop after a couple trips to the moon? Why would individuals need computers? And yeah, people today laugh because, you know, it's been 15 years, we don't have the technologies of 2001. But, at the same time, Google is more HAL than HAL ever could be. If you look at Google as a single computer, and then realistically, that's exactly what it is. HAL is minuscule in its understanding of the world. Of the needs of those people who are interacting with it. Yes, we don't have space travel. That's bureaucracy. That's government. But had those two things happened, Kubrick would have been so dead on it would have been frightening. Kubrick and, of course, Clark. The most famous moment, of course, is when our good friend, Hal, is slowly being turned off and he starts singing Daisy Bell. Daisy, Daisy. Give me your answer, true. And it's a terribly sad. Oh my god, it's so sad. That whole scene is painful to watch. Particularly if you've dealt with anyone who is slowly fading away into dementia. But the song, of course, the story goes, as I've been told, I've been told a couple of different versions. Clark and Kubrick both saw the demonstration of, at Bell Labs, I believe, I've had conflicting reports, some said it was in the UK, 
of Daisy Bell being sung by the computer. I believe it was an IBM 709. might have been a 704 at Bell Labs. And that had been programmed by Max Matthews. The way Max told me when he was here at the museum was that he had demonstrated it for Clark and later for Kubrick, and that that set off a whole wave of things for a story he was already working on. It's probably not true, but by that point, by 1966, that had already been disseminated. People knew Daisy Bell as the computer song. And it's great. It's a great little tune, because it's actually just complex enough that it allows you to demonstrate some really neat things, but it's simple enough that it doesn't take a whole lot of processing power. So it's a, it's a combination there. It became iconic because of that film. The song itself had always been iconic, but the actual performance of it. The music in general in the movie, hugely important. Uh, the Blue Danube Walls, for example, in showing off the movements of space. Uh, also, Sprach Zarathustra, hugely significant to the advance of American movie music. It is so perfectly integrated into it that it raises the entire thing. It gives an emotional impact. I believe the last movie I saw at the Retrodome, the Century 21 in San Jose, the theater that I love more than anything, and it breaks my heart to not have it still showing movies. I believe the last one I saw was 2001 A Space Odyssey. That was the first time I'd seen it on a big screen, and the Century 21 was the biggest screen in the Bay Area. It was magnificent. And sitting in, I believe, the third row center, it's overwhelming the power of these images. But the music just washed so hard over the audience. And I literally got chills during Also Sprach Zarathustra. Hugely hugely powerful. 2001 is a movie without humor. There's a couple of moments where characters have a little lightness, but it is a deathly serious film. And I think that's one of the reasons why so many people sort of dismiss it. I really believe 2001 is the film of the 1960s that has the most impact on the future of science fiction in all realms. Television, it's Star Trek. But on film, it's 2001 because it represents a move away. It is a move away from B-pictures, from simple adventure pictures, from space opera, really, towards something new, towards a more thoughtful, a deeper, philosophical type of science fiction. And you were already seeing that in the literature. Remember, by this point, people like Ursula K. Le Guin are already writing. James Tiptree Jr. has done some amazing stuff by this point. You have Sturgeon and Vonnegut giving us very thoughtful, though both of them with more humor. But philosophical science fiction is now starting to rise up. And by the 70s, you see it take much stronger hold. And the films that 2001 led to, and I'll say A Clockwork Orange, not only because of the Kubrick connection, but because of the subject matter. This movie, more than anything, proved that science fiction could deal with tough subjects heavy subjects. And A Clockwork Orange deals with some really heavy subjects in a different way. Different way. It's more violence than deep philosophical thoughts of human intelligence. And film, because of 2001, I maintain, up through about 1977, 78, was attempting to capture that thoughtful aspect of 2001. 
And films like Westworld for sure did that. Coma, Altered States, Scanners, all sorts of deep science fiction films for varying values of deep. But science fiction films that dealt with significant themes could happen. The Invasion of the Body Snatchers remake with Donald Sutherland is as much a descendant of 2001 as it is The Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Because it dealt with things in a different way, with a more philosophical twist. And it wasn't until all of that was, I wouldn't say washed away, but pushed aside a bit by Star Wars that we start to see the change there. Television has only recently started to come to the philosophical point where the medium is mature enough to deal with the kind of things that 2001 was dealing with. And Star Trek was really the basis for 40 years of science fiction television. It's only about been in the last 15 to 20 that we've seen any delving into matters as philosophical as 2001. This is a phenomenal film, and everyone should see it. And it's okay if you don't get it. It's okay if you miss. But if you pay attention, you'll find things to latch on to. And if you watch it over and over again, you'll latch on to enough to be able to assemble something. And really, I believe that is the idea behind 2001.